You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And yes, Daniel Horowitz here back in the house in this snowy of snowiest days. I mean, I am telling you here at CR's Northern Command, Central Maryland, maybe an inch of snow. But unfortunately, it's enough to get the kids off of school in this part of the country. So I apologize ahead of time if you hear the kids making noise in the background. I'm recording from my home office here, and although it's somewhat soundproof, I never had enough money to make it radio station soundproof. So if you get a really big tantrum, you could always hear it through here, and, you know, I can never escape the tantrums. But I digress. You know, the same way my kids were off of school today, the Senate canceled the remainder of their session this week because of a dusting of snow. You know, isn't it funny how we're always told, oh my gosh, we can't have a government shutdown. You know, we have foundational issues affecting our sovereignty, security, society, our system of governance, um, our debt. We can't address them and risk a government shutdown, you know, over priorities of funding, whether we're going to fund a border wall, sanctuary cities, Planned Parenthood, no, 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 we can't risk a government shutdown. But yet, you know, what is a government shutdown? just means non-essential employees don't show up. Well, you know, they they shut down the government at the drop of a hat when it literally snows less than an inch. And D.C. gets less than where I am, so, you know, at most it was a dusting. But the Senate is closed. The House is also... They they originally were slated to be in the first week of the new year. Uh, they're out of session as well, so I don't know why. But um, so that's why it's kind of slow in terms of the big ticket items: the January nineteenth budget bill, the stupid eighty billion so called disaster relief bill that has a lot of pork in it, um, amnesty negotiations. Although they are going on at the White House today, and we're going to have some news on that. But there, there is a lot going on that I do want to discuss that you're not going to hear from the echo chamber and the group think even among other conservative media. You know, I'm sick of it. You know, we had a whole discussion with Jordan on our first show this week about Iran, and we thought that was going to be a big deal. And guess what? It could have been a big deal, and it could still be a big deal. But... Rather than having a president completely on message the entire week on an issue that resonates with the public that, as we pointed out, could serve as the Jenga point to solving most of our foreign policy, overthrowing the Iranian regime without any military intervention. Instead, it's stepped on by this stupid soap opera with the Bannon-Trump fight. Oh my gosh. I know I get all these requests from radio and TV to come on and talk about it. I just I'm just not doing it. There's so much to talk about in terms of immigration, stolen sovereignty, what the courts are doing, healthcare. Our system of government flipped around and obviously foreign policy, national security. And every time the president gets into a good groove, it just he steps on it, other things step on it. And this is the problem. The irony is, until now, his approval ratings were the highest in six months. He was doing pretty good. Because there's an old truism in in politics that I think is is 100% proof. Whenever a Republican president or rarely a Republican leader in Congress is able to harness national debate and focus the national attention, on a conservative issue and a conservative priority in a sustainable way that saturates the news cycle for a few days, we win. When it's about the soap opera and personalities, we lose. So what I want to discuss today, smashing old paradigms, old failed assumptions, old failed you know, premises about policy. Trump is actually doing a good job, a better job, 
than anyone else on issue after issue after issue addressing these issues and willing to tackle the status quo to challenge the failed ways of doing things. He's willing to do that. But unfortunately, between the endless soap opera, some of his own kind of everything's about him instead of the agenda, so he steps on his own good agenda sometimes. And we, I, I want to discuss today some of the good things he's actually doing that if it only got more attention and he messaged it properly, he'd be in better shape. They'd be in better shape for the midterms. And this is a blueprint for how they're going to win the midterms if they want to. But between that, the fact that no other Republican's doing anything, we can't benefit from it. It's really frustrating because he really is the first person to come along in a generation at this level to actually message and even on a policy level try to tackle some issues in a way that breaks down old paradigms, even beyond what some other Republicans have done until now where they operate exclusively within the confines of the debate set forth by the left. He's smashed through those, those chains, those, those false contours. Oh, you can't talk like this. You can't mention this. He's done it, but it's just frustrating because we're so locked down on this, on this nonsense, on the, on the endless soap opera. You know, Trump has said a lot of good things I want to delve into on immigration, on funding Pakistan and the Palestinians. On global warming, even on healthcare. You know, I haven't studied it yet, but today it came out. Um, the Department of Labor and, and HHS have actually officially written the rules pursuant to the executive order. If you remember, uh, two months ago, Trump came out with an executive order about expanding health association plans, access to health association plans, and purchasing insurance across state lines. They came out with the regs today. They're 70 pages. I got to read through it. Um, you know, it's, it's limited in terms of the scope of what he can do executively. But again, he's at least thinking along the right lines, breaking through the old paradigm. I wish he would continue that to, to break through the whole insurance monopoly and, you know, stop the insurance bailout. Unfortunately, he signed on to this Lamar Alexander insurance bailout. But again, you know, if conservatives get in his face, He's shown a willingness to listen. You know, this is something I've discussed at length for our new listeners throughout last year, throughout 2017, that one of the best things I like about Trump is that even when he's wrong, he's willing, he does care about what conservatives think. So we need to get in his face. You know, I was critical of the administration on a lot of immigration issues last year, saying, hey, you're not really fulfilling what you promised. And you know what? They passed it around at the White House. Some of my articles even put up on the White House blog, and he's gotten a lot better the last couple months. You know, again, it's still not on, as on message on amnesty and DACA as I'd want him to be, but if you grade with a curve, he sure is heck better than anyone else on the Republican Party has been. You know, so conservatives need to encourage more of that. And, um, and, and push him where, he, where he's kind of veering in the wrong direction. But instead, everyone's distracted. You know, if I took 10 systemic kill shots on our country, things that really cut to the core of my big four S's, sovereignty, security, society, and system of governance, everything flipped on its head. We're strangers in our own land, stolen sovereignty, where Christians are being persecuted. And, you know, the Klein family in Oregon, the, that, the famous bakery, the uh, sweet cakes, not sweet cakes, that's Colorado. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, sweet cakes. Master cakes is Colorado. Sweet cakes is the um, Klein family in Colorado, in, in uh, Oregon. The, uh, the appeals court in Oregon ruled that they have to pay $135,000 for not servicing a private gay event with their own private property. Yet, the entire state of California. And all their officials are able to thumb their noses at federal law. And whether you want expansive immigration or restrictionist immigration, everyone has to agree that legally the federal government has plenary full power over immigration. Every developed country has sovereignty statutes 
governing who could come in and you can't come in illegally. For a state to thwart federal sovereignty and affect the sovereignty of the entire union of all 49 other states and openly declare their state a sanctuary and they get away with it. No problem. And the court side with them. At the same time, a Christian can't refuse service with their own private property to a gay event. Elected state and local officials in California can refuse to cooperate with ICE to hand over from their prisons the most violent of criminal aliens. It is unfreaking believable. These are the kill shots in our country that nobody's talking about. You know, we have a budget bill coming up. And Trump's been great on this, on sanctuaries, on refugees. And I want to discuss a lot of this, go, th- go through a litany of things that he's punched through old paradigms. But he could do a lot better if he understood the policies to implement them, the leverage points, got more of his cabinet and officials on message with his agenda. I think – and actually talked about this rather than – tweet. you know, the problem is every other tweet is really good, but then every other one is, oh, there's been no plane crashes this year. I take credit for it or just some other stupid thing or the whole entire soap opera. It's just really frustrating because he's actually been very good. I want to start off with one of my favorite Reagan quotes. Um, You know, this he said towards the end of his presidency. Freedom is the right to question and change the established way of doing things. It is the continuing revolution of the marketplace. It is understanding that allows us to recognize shortcomings and seek solutions. It is the right to put forth an idea scoffed at by the experts. And watch it catch fire among the people. It is the right to stick to dream, to follow your dream, or stick to your conscience, even if you're the only one in the sea of doubters. And you know what's interesting? I watched this with Trump and you know with other people before him. Before you come along saying it, people, people create this impervious wall. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't think about healthcare like this. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't. Oh, you can't rethink Afghanistan or Iraq or rethink the way we give foreign aid to the PLO and and our enemies in Pakistan. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't go after Iran like that. No, 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 no. Oh, you can't not give an insurance bailout. Oh, no, no. And one of the ways I've, I've discussed this before, especially last year, but for our newer listeners, welcome again to our Westwood One listeners. Really proud to be on their platform. Um, they, they, they create what, what the experts and the political elites and the globalist establishment types, they, they're the ones that create the failed status quo. Everything we're doing is failed. Everything we're doing is counterintuitive. Everything we're doing runs counter to, to a modicum of common sense. It defies basic laws of nature. Everything's America last. Everything is illegals first, Americans last. Courts first, legislature last. Everything is backwards. We support our enemies, oppose our allies. We, we use hard power to fight for the wrong battles, but won't use the soft power that doesn't cost us anything to fight the right battles. Everything we do is controlled by the stat powers of the status quo because that's how we got here. So those same people get out, out there in the think tanks, in government, in culture, in the media. And what they do is they say, there's going to be instability. Remember how I talked to you about the experts saying there's going to be instability if you try to break out of the paradigm of their failed policy, their failed assumptions. We wouldn't want to destabilize Iraq, would we? We wouldn't want to destabilize Afghanistan. We wouldn't want to destabilize the insurance market by not bailing out the insurance companies and continuing the paradigm of health insurance as health care. Meanwhile, $2,500 a month premiums evidently is not destabilizing to these people. And I laughed because there was a CQ article, Congressional Quarterly article this week, that actually following Trump's hit on the PLO, they said, it, literally the headline was this, experts, 
cutting off aid to PLO will create its instability. <laughs> we would want to destabilize the Palestinians. You know, and, and this is what they do. And, and it scares everyone off. Oh, we wouldn't want to destabilize a woman's health. So therefore, we're going to continue funding Planned Parenthood. I mean, everything. And this is why, even when you have Republicans that kind of believe in what we believe in, but they're never going to lift a finger to actually harness the leverage points and use the levers of the power that they, that they sought and won based on their promises to actually keep the promises. Why not? Why not? Because they get scared when the barking dogs of the elites come and say, instability, instability. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, we, we don't want to do that. So they just cut around the edges and they just operate within the premise of policy within those contours set forth by the, by the political establishment, really in both parties. And what I think everyone appreciated about Trump, despite his other flaws, and there are many, I, w- I wish we had the virtues without the vices, but he is who he is. The man who came down that escalator at Trump Tower and announced his bid, and he talked about immigration from just a pure common sense way of thinking that no one else dared say before, but it, it intuitively resonated with people. It said, they're bringing their rapists here. They're bringing their trash here. America's not a dumping ground. What happened to the American people? And he is right. We become that dumping ground. You know, there's, there's new data out, astounding data out from um, U.S. Sentencing Commission and Department of Justice. One thing that's good is that they're actually putting out good data now because, you know, past administrations covered this up. Did you know that 44% of all federal convictions, right, in the federal criminal justice system in 2016, or actually from 2011 to through fiscal year 2016, were non-citizen. Do you understand what that means? 44%. It's funny. So you have this entire criminal justice leniency cartel that wants to have jailbreak. And they say, too many people in, in jail. Now, we've already said before, most of them, 85 90% are in state and local jails and prisons. The federal prison population is really only about 180,000 people. Not a lot. And it's, it's been decreasing the last seven or so years. Certainly with, with Obama's last two years in office. But what I laugh about it is I said, even if you agree with the general jailbreak, let's address immigration first. We have our own domestic problems. Why do we have to house other countries' criminals? We have our own problems. So 32% of all inmates in federal prisons, new data, 32% are non-citizens. Most of them are illegals, but total are non-citizens. And look at this. Of the 455,000 total federal convictions from FY 2011 through FY 2016, 201,000, or 44%, were non-citizens. That's what's clogging up the system. Get them out of here. But instead, you have federal judges blocking us from doing it. You know, just, just this week, that, that same piece of garbage judge in the Eastern District of Michigan, federal judge in Michigan, Judge Mark A. Goldsmith, if you remember in July, this is the guy that invalidated the deportation of 1,400 criminal aliens from Iraq. Every one of them is a criminal alien. We have the right to deport anyone, but I'm just saying these are criminal aliens. All deportable pursuant to statute, many of them served time for rape and murder, invalidated them. No, I, feel, I fear they're going to be persecuted. So therefore, I'm going to engage in civil disobedience and not follow the law. Sanctuary courts. Okay? So he took it a step further this week, and he now, okay, so they're not deported, but they're in detention. He ordered 300 of them released from detention. This is, a, this is another trend in the courts on immigration. You, you can't deport them, but you can't detain them, so you release them, and then they... You can never catch them again. They're dispersed into our communities and commit more crimes. We're strangers in our own land. Our laws are being criminalized and the criminals are being made lawful. They get standing to sue against us. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? States can now act like neo-confederates and thwart foundational federal sovereignty laws. Judges could thwart foundational sovereignty laws. But a president must yield to a district judge who declares himself commander-in-chief and mandates paying for masochism castration operations in our military. But nonetheless, Trump's being pretty good on this. He's punching through the old paradigms, saying, why should we have refugee resettlement when it's just resettling Muslims from Islamic civil wars and you could actually help more people by resettling them regionally? So, you know, I criticized him at the time for setting the cap at 40,000, although it's much lower than it has been. I said, look, he could set it at zero. The truth be told, they are really vetting more of them because they've only brought in about 5,000. If you extrapolate that pace, it would only be on pace to to bring in about 22,000, much lower than the cap he set. So he's doing good on that. They are arresting more criminal aliens. They are fighting back against sanctuary cities. I like this guy, by the way, um, the the acting ICE director. They should keep him as the permanent ICE director, Homan. Um, he said politicians in sanctuary sh- cities should be arrested and charged with crimes. He's absolutely right. And by the way, there's a bill um, by Todd Rakita. I'm trying to get the number here. It's something we're going to be promoting in the future to punish. Um, it would levy up to $1 million fines and a year of imprisonment on um, you know, officials that, that engage in this insane lawless behavior and i mean this this is the emergency we need a refugee reform we need asylum reform we need the border wall we need to end catch and release we need to clamp down on sanctuary cities we need to punish them instead they're having a meeting over daca now i am hearing you know um i've heard from people in the know that trump has been very adamant that until we get rid of the diversity visa lottery until we get rid of chain migration no talk of DACA. Now, he does go off message once in a while on that, but he's gotten a lot better. So hopefully that's going to hold. But I mean, we haven't written into statute. Anyone who knowingly or in reckless, is in reckless disregard of the fact that an alien has come to, entered, or remains in the United States is in violation of law, conceals, harbors, or shields them from detection has committed a felony. So that's current law. But, but as part of our thesis today, in today's podcast, what I want to say about Trump is that I'm, I'm happy he is punching through old paradigms. He's talking about chain migration. He's talking about the refugee problem. And they are finally, after kind of slow action the first year, you know, a friend of mine in the administration was telling me, so you have these PCCs, these, um, you know, the way decisions are made, you have an issue come up, and they're called PCCs, policy coordination committees you know basically white house officials get get together with the relevant agency department heads and you know subheads to discuss okay what to do about this and then you know when you have a disagreement you go all the way up to the top now the problem is a lot of these people are cancers i mean a lot of these people are they are the problem so that's what has taken a year to really write the ship but it's is gone in a better direction, particularly on immigration. But Trump is breaking old paradigms on these issues. And what I love about what he's been doing is he's asking the question, why? Why are we doing stupid things that, that no one will challenge? He's the first person to give voice to some of the things we're talking about. And I love how he went to Twitter. Why are we giving money to Pakistan? When they screw us. Why are we giving money to the PLO? Why? There's some sort of entitlement. I was joking around. You know, the courts are now going to say like, you know, because they control foreign policy and national security and the military and immigration now. Foreign commerce. Immigration, by the way, is the courts have said for years. It's a subset of foreign commerce in many ways, which is controlled, you know, outside the realm of courts. That that stops at the water's edge. Courts have no jurisdiction over that. But anyway, you know, what's interesting here. Very interesting. I, w- I would, wouldn't be surprised if the courts create an entitlement that you cannot, just like you have to fund sanctuary cities, 
you, know, you have to fund refugees. You have to fund the PLO in Pakistan because you're only cutting off funding to Muslim countries and it creates a stigma. And that stigma renders the policy itself facially in violation of the Establishment Clause because you're creating a national religion against Muslims. Now, you might laugh, but that's exactly what the Fourth Circuit said almost verbatim about the immigration order. So um, I wouldn't surprise me if they do this, but I digress. You know, Trump is asking the right questions, and I think what he's doing on Iran, I, I wish he would, gosh, I wish he would follow up on it and talk about this more. Talk about the Iranian people. Talk about the need. Talk about how Iran has killed our soldiers, you know, in Lebanon and then in Iraq and captured our ship and was never punished for it. It would, it would resonate. Talk about cutting off aid to terrorists. Talk about designating the Muslim Brotherhood as a terror organization. Talk about all this stuff. Talk about chain migration more. He, he's doing it, but do it more. Double down on that. Don't get distracted. Your polling will go up. It already is a little bit, especially with the tax cuts. That's how you're going to win the midterm elections. I love how he's challenging the false assumptions of the past. But he needs to take this to the next level. Take it to the courts. Who says a district judge could, could say any of this? Challenge it. Challenge the false assumptions on healthcare. Who says United Health, which earned $185 billion, to give you a sense, by the way, Microsoft earned $85 billion last year. Who says they need a bailout? Who says they should control healthcare? So anyway, this is what we need to be doing. Breaking failed paradigm. I want to talk about a big paradigm that we need to smash, that no one wants to touch, but it is so intuitive, it would pull 80-20 among the people. And it is so foundational. It is so destructive if it's not dealt with. And, and thankfully, there are signs that the White House is dealing with this. And I have an article out today I'm going to link to in show notes, but I want to discuss this with you. Perhaps nothing embodies the insanity of what our government does, the insanity of failed policies, then the practice of counting illegals in the census. The notion that foreign invaders could break into your country, unilaterally assert jurisdiction, and not only demand all sorts of benefits and get from the courts, driver's licenses and welfare, even state deportations, but to actually vote without even voting. So now, there's a whole problem with illegals voting, and I know there's a lot of talk today, and Trump's been talking about this, how they shut down this commission on voter fraud, but Chris Kobach is now saying that really ICE and DHS are going to take care of it, so it's not really folding. is because states aren't, you know, the, all the sanctuary states aren't providing data. They absolutely do vote, right? There's a huge problem. The motor voter laws... There's a seamless thing where they get driver's licenses. So, of course, many of them are voting and the courts are preventing not just the federal government, but even states from asking on the voter forms for proof of citizenship. I mean, this is unbelievable. So they're clearly voting. You have stolen sovereignty in that sense. But you also, and those of you who read chapter eight of my book will be familiar with this, but I have an article out today kind of summarizing this argument. They've, even the ones that don't illegally vote are voting because of the erroneous practice of counting them in the census. So literally, they could unilaterally assert jurisdiction and affect the outcome of our entire body politic, the very core of self-governance, self-determination of sovereignty, of citizenship is corrupted and diluted by foreign invaders. It literally makes no sense. And this is something that should be universal. Right? This is not something that should be conservative. Nothing I'm saying here is conservative. This should bother everyone. So look, on the face of it, the biggest effect affects, you know, conservatives, but it really affects everyone. So let's unpack just 
how corrupt this is, where it comes from, what could be done about it, and then the constitutional issue. And then again, this is all in the article I wrote, but you know, I, I wanted to give it over to you on the podcast for many of you who, who didn't see it because there's just so many important things here that we could change even administratively and no one's talking about. So basically, California already gets an extra five seats because they count all of the illegal aliens among their population. So other states are losing out because keep in mind, it's a zero-sum game. We have a cap of 435 House seats, which by extension determines the Electoral College, so it affects both the House of Representatives and presidential elections. California gets five extra seats and therefore five extra electoral votes that Democrats automatically get those seats. Washington State, another pretty much sanctuary, gets another seat. Now, Texas and Florida, which voted for Trump, get an extra seat because of illegal immigration too, but I would venture to say it it does help Republicans in presidential elections, but for the House of Representatives, they're in locations that get that are Democrat. So the, the seat is a Democrat seat. And it's really many other states too, because there are other states that wind up losing. You know, keep in mind the states that are on the cusp, you know, that right under the threshold of another seat, they lose out because of these sanctuaries. So you have a perverse dynamic where crime pays, where you could, th- again, the federal government is allowed to do anything to a state that's completely lawless and a state must abide. Kim Davis, a county official in Kentucky, following natural law, the foundation of all civilization, marriage, which was ratified by 80% of the state in Kentucky. She was following state law. She was following federal defense of marriage law. And a lawless federal judge that contradicts himself from two years before in the Windsor case could say, nope, marriage is not a marriage anymore. You must issue that. And we're going to throw you in jail if you don't issue it. Yet states and localities could literally be fugitives, hide fugitives of people that don't belong in the country, not just domestic criminals, worse than that, foreign criminals that don't belong here. Thwart federal immigration authorities and get rewarded because commensurate with the sanctuary policies is a perverse dynamic where they now become a magnet. For more illegal immigration, because now they want to come there knowing that they're not going to be detected or investigated or apprehended. And therefore, it juices up their population. And now when it comes to the new census, they get more seats. Remember, Obamacare passed in the House by a margin of 220 to 210. So the margin of illegal immigration alone giving Democrats an extra five to ten seats, gave them the margin of victory to pass Obamacare. There's many issues like this. But it also, it it affects everyone, not just in a partisan conservative versus liberal way, too. Because, now, I don't believe in this, you know, the whole Sims case from the 1960s, the one man, one vote. It's made up by the Supreme Court. It's not mandated by the Constitution. But nonetheless, we're told that that's the law of the land. Okay, well, if that's the law of the land, we certainly apply it to screw everyone, to screw conservatives and every other redistricting issue. But the one case we won't apply it to, the, the ultimate disenfranchisement of the one man, one vote of everyone, of every citizen, is counting illegals in the census. So you have a situation where you could have a district, well, let's say every district officially has, you know, Roughly 730,000 people. Let's say, I'm just making this up, roughly 500,000 eligible voters in the district. But then you could have a district like Los Angeles County that encompasses Los Angeles County that is so immigrant heavy. And a big part of his illegal immigration due to the sanctuary policies and the magnets where there's only about 200,000 or so voting age citizens. So now they have greater voting, citizens in those districts have greater voting power than citizens, let's say, in northeastern California and Tom McClintock's district, which undoubtedly has you know, much fewer uh, immigrants. That's completely unfair to everyone. It's not just benefiting Democrats, it's just 
just totally unfair cross-partisan lines. No one wants to deal with that. So thankfully, the administration has shown signs, and you know, I sent them my article, and, and I think it has resonated, but they've already shown signs. DOJ has requested from the Commerce Department, which uh, oversees the Census of Bureau, the Bureau of Census, to have a citizenship question on the long-form census. Shouldn't we know how many people are citizens when it comes to reapportionment? Now, they didn't directly connect it to the immigration issue, but hopefully that's going to be the next step. Now, this is something ideally that doesn't need even legislation, much less a constitutional amendment like some erroneously think. This could be done bureaucratically, administratively, because it was implemented originally bureaucratically, administratively, unlawfully, against the will and sovereignty of the American people. The counting illegals in the census is just like birthright citizenship for children of illegal aliens. And I discussed them both in the same vein in chapter eight of my book. In the sense that once you erroneously interpret the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, as, as, as mandating that you must count illegals in the census, that you must give their children unqualified, unconditional birthright citizenship. Once you erroneously read that, but you, you understand it's erroneous, so then it's not even statutory, because the statute just quotes the 14th Amendment. It was done due to bureaucratic laziness, and then, because, you know, we didn't have too many, A, we didn't have too many non-citizens before 1970s, and then we didn't have too many illegals until fairly recently in history. So it wasn't such an issue. But once it became an issue, they didn't take the effort to weed them out from the census and to have social, the Social Security Administration and HHS work with the hospitals to require valid identification to issue a birth certificate to their children. It's a very simple fix. You don't even need a statute. Now, I think... It's better to do it statutorily just to make things clear. But this is theoretically something that, that can be done just as is. So remember how we talked about the modus operandi of those who cling to the same failed policies that undermine American sovereignty, that undermine the basic agreement of self-governance, of the social compact. They, what do they do? They tend to say, well, there's going to be instability if you change. Or what they do is they say, what we want to do is unconstitutional. So we become strangers in our own land. It's literally everything they do is constitutional. But then if we want to just implement something that's common sense, like, uh, no, actually, like, you know, Americans come first. No, 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 that, that's unconstitutional. Now, before you know anything, just understand. Everything in the constitutional is common sense. So there's nothing in the constitution that's a suicide pact that would be like, man, yeah, I wish we could do this, but we got to change. No, because it was written by people that were endowed with what I believe is divinely inspired common sense. It's really very simple. So right away when I tell you, well, someone could come here break into the country, drop a baby, demand citizenship, and then be counted, not, not just the baby, but themselves as well, in the census, and there's not a darn thing you could do about it unless you amend the Constitution, right away, your BS flag should go up. But that's what they do to prevent new paradigms. Like, well, it has to be this way. So where do they come from? They come from the fact that it says in, in Section 2 of the 14th Amendment, when it talks about um, reapportionment re re and you know how they obviously amended Article One, Section Two, uh, because you know now we ended slavery and had true equality for all citizens, black and white. They they talk about the census and you know reapportionment. It uses the term person. So that's where they say, well, you know, and, and, and it's clear from the debate that it meant even those that weren't 
citizens are eligible for citizenship. Now, why did they want? And does that mean a legal person or just legal permanent residents? So what, it, what, what is so disgusting to me is that they are taking a clause of the 14th Amendment that was designed to stop the disenfranchisement of black citizens who lived here for hundreds of years, and they're bastardizing it and adulterating it to misuse it in a way that will disenfranchise all American citizens, black and white, at the hands of, of foreign invaders. That, that is what's so sinister here. The idea was this. It uses the word persons because it used the word whole persons. The, the um, stress isn't so much on persons. It's, if you remember, whole persons because the famous Article 1, Section 2 that you know, the liberals always yap about, the three-fifths clause. It was rectifying the three-fifths clause. Now, <clears throat> contrary to what people think, so you know, past history. So they, they basically say, well, the Constitution sucks. And I'll tell you why. Because they only considered blacks three-fifths of a person. And like I note in my book, and I've said this many times, the original sin was in America's founding as a colony, as a settlement, not in the Constitution. The Constitution actually rectified it and sowed the seeds that led to the Civil War that we actually fulfilled it. It's not a problem of the constitutional governance. It's not a 1789 problem. It was a 1600s problem. You know, and that was encouraged by the British because they benefited from the slave trade at the time. And part of what they did is they said to the southern states, all right, you want to have slavery, you can't have it both ways. Use the blacks as you know, to juice up your representation in Congress to further entrench and empower the institution of slavery, but then not give them the franchise. So when they came after the Civil War with the 14th Amendment, they said, all right, here's the deal. We're now going to count them as whole persons, but you better give them the right to vote. You can't have it both ways. You can't disenfranchise them. You can't vote. But then, oh, by the way, we're going to count you. So it was actually the exact opposite. It was to move away from this notion of having people that don't vote but are counted. That was the exact point. If you're counted, then you're voting. And if you're voting, then you're counted. This is the whole point where you have illegal invaders that obviously shouldn't be voting, at least officially. So certainly they shouldn't be counted. That's what it was designed to do. Okay, so just let, let's talk about the spirit. The spirit was the exact opposite of what they try to do to it. The intent behind it. Exact opposite. So anyway, that's why they had this formula that they would cut off, they would punish representation in terms of their counting if they wouldn't give blacks the franchise. And that's how they went after the former Confederate states. Okay, so now you'll t tell me, all right, Daniel, so that's the intent, but what about the, the text? The text does say person. So look, I will tell you that if you want to go and <clears throat> completely and only count citizens, meaning not even legal permanent residents that are clearly on a path to citizenship, you would, I would believe, based on the text, you would need a constitutional amendment, and indeed... I, I do think that's a good idea. We certainly want legal immigrants that are productive, but I, I don't think that while they're not a citizen, I don't think they should be counted. I just think it's unfair. Um, so I do believe that should be changed, and that would need a constitutional amendment. And indeed, Warren Davidson, one of the best members, terrific member from Ohio, he took over John Boehner's seat. So Warren Davidson has a bill to make a constitutional amendment. But what I'm talking about is, look, let's put aside LPRs for, for a moment and say that's mandated by the Constitution until you have a constitutional amendment. Fine. But the notion that people that we don't consensually allow in our country could just force it upon us, and that's mandated by the Constitution, that is BS. 
That is nonsense. There's always a huge distinction between illegal and legal. And it cuts to the core of the arguments that we talk about with birthright citizenship and immigration and in immigration in general. There's a number of reasons why there's a big distinction. So number one, first of all, like we've said, settled case law, it's one of the most settled areas of law, that when you are here illegally, it is deemed, <clears throat> you know, it, it's funny, in the 1950s, the courts had already said 60 years ago that there was 50 years of uninterrupted case law stating that, you know, although physically within our boundaries is to be regarded as if he had been stopped at the limit of our jurisdiction and kept there while he is his right to enter was under debate. So this was even people that kind of had like a legal claim, but it was debated. Certainly, if you just run into the frontier, come here illegally or overstay your visa and you have no entitlement to be here, pursuant to law, it's as if you are sitting outside of our boundaries, physically, in the most physical sense, which is why the whole birthright citizenship thing, well, if it applies to legal immigrants, it should apply to not. No, it's not true. Because consensually, then you're here. You're not a citizen, but you're here. If you're here illegally, you are not here. And that makes sense because you can't unilaterally assert jurisdiction. Subject to the jurisdiction thereof is with the citizenship clause. So here it doesn't say that, but still, persons, persons, obviously cannot mean them because they're not here. They're literally not here. That's number one. Argument number one. So that goes out the window. They're not here. Number two, obviously, we are textualists, originalists. We read the Constitution as it was written with the parlance, the language that it was understood at the time. But there's literalism and there's literalism. In other words, there's literalism, original intent, and then there's Amelia Bedelia style literalism. Obviously, anyway, it clearly doesn't mean anyone literally anyone there, because if you're a temporary visitor, foreign student, you're never counted. If you're a temporary resident of another, you're American citizen. Forget about <clears throat> legal immigrant, illegal immigrant. Let's hear American citizen from North Carolina. You're a resident of North Carolina. Your address is there, but you're temporarily on leave, you know, when the census is being counted for two months in Texas. Are you counted in Texas? No. Conversely, if you're not in Texas and you're in another place or you're overseas during a time of census, you still are counted. So it's not exactly literal. It means anyone whose permanent residency is there, they have the right to be there, they have the illegal ability to become citizens if they're not on a path to it, then they're counted even if they're not currently a citizen. That's all that, that means. And this was said by... There's a man named, you know, there's a lot of treaties, commentaries on the Constitution that are very authoritative. Joseph Story, Rawls, Kent. Um, so a little bit later, a couple decades later, a man named Judge Timothy Farrar, he was a New Hampshire judge and he was the law partner of Senator Daniel Webster in mid-19th century. He came out with a treatise on the Constitution that incorporated commentary on the 14th Amendment in 1868. Months, literally months, days after the 14th Amendment was ratified. So if you want to have an, a real authoritative source on what the 14th Amendment actually meant, it's fascinating. You know, all the stuff on the citizenship clause, due process, equal protection. I mean, he always said that it, you know, the, the 14th Amendment creates no new right. It's amazing. Um, and really, every right has been created by the courts recently based on it. And he said very clearly that certainly persons who are at the time actual citizens of other states in the Union cannot be included. And for much stronger reasons, persons who are citizens of foreign states cannot be included. So if you are subject to the jurisdiction of a foreign state, you are not included. Period. Done. It's not even close. Not even close. So that's that. But then he also makes very clear that ultimately, who determines a person? It's Congress. It's not the courts. The courts think they do. 
but it was given over to Congress. Remember, the 14th Amendment didn't fully repeal Article 1, Section 2, the original way we do reapportionment. Not every aspect, just the aspect of how blacks are counted. But the foundation of doing the census is clear. And in Article 1, Section 2, it gives the actual enumeration of how it's conducted and directed over to Congress. So certainly Congress has the authority, meaning even if you say there's a mandated floor of the Constitution that if you're an LPR, but what exactly is an LPR? What type of green card? What type of, what type of visa? Of course, that's given over to Congress to determine. They could count temporary visas if they wanted to, but they don't have to, and they certainly don't have to count. So, you know, they're going to tell me, oh, the, you know, the courts will mandate that the Constitution says this. Excuse me, you have Article 1, Section 2 that gives them plenary power over um, the census. You have people forget Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, all the Civil Rights Era Amendments, Section 5 gives it over to Congress, not the courts, to determine and enforce the provisions of the 14th Amendment. It's, it's also part of foreign commerce, and it's part of their, obviously, plenary power over citizenship and immigration. You can't void out all of those powers to tell me illegals could just unilaterally assert jurisdiction. You know, back in 1989, the Senate actually passed an amendment to the 1990 immigration bill to get rid of this. And, um, and it passed. Almost every Republican voted for it. Guess who? Richard Shelby and Chuck Grassley and Thad Cochran, of all people, they actually sponsored the amendment. And a couple of liberal Democrats at the time, Tom Harkin from Iowa, Harry Reid, voted for it. Now, later on in conference, it was taken out. But it was passed before. There's no reason it can't be passed again. I'll link to this article in show notes. But my point here is we need to smash old paradigms on common sense, basic things that we're doing, basic practices of our government that is corrupt, that's selling us out, that's making us strangers in our own land. They need to be addressed. They need to be revisited. They're not untouchable. They're not the third rail. They're our rail. We're entitled to it. It's our constitutional mandate. It's funny. Everything's for everyone else. Oh, foreign nationals. No, they have this right. No, you can't do this. You can't. What about us? What about us? So I'm proud Trump is actually starting and barking on the right path. But again, you know, he's got to stay on message. Can't get distracted. We're going to delve into we're, we're way over time. We're running out of time here. We're going to delve into his executive order on health care, some ideas we can do on health care, how Trump could break old paradigms on health care, the way we view that. That's going to be a big topic in the coming month here at the Conservative Conscience. But thanks for listening. Thanks for the hearing me out here in this history lesson. Send me your feedback, dharowitz at crtv.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. Get your CRTV subscriptions renewed for the new year. and. Welcome again, everyone, to Westwood One. Really proud to be on their platform, partnering partnering with CRTV here. God bless y'all. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.